Ron took us through 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. So let's just uh, get into the text and we'll plow along and have a word of prayer. And we'll, uh, then we'll pray a little further and uh, get out of here and, and, and uh, get ready for this week coming up in the power of God's Spirit. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm still turning there. In verse 1, let's just start there. For we know that if our earthly house or this tabernacle, in the New King James, by the way, it says this tent, which is totally wrong. But anyway, that's another story. Um, for, for we know that if our earthly house or this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether he be good, whether it, I'm sorry, it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on uh, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart for whether we be beside ourselves it is uh, it is to God or whether we be sober it is for your cause for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all then all then we're all dead and that we and that he died for all that they might, but which live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. I went too far, but that's okay. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, just gather and uh, look in your word. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. Thank you for the pastors and the meeting we just had, and the things that you're doing in our church. Thank you for uh, just uh, getting Steve Fleshman through his surgery. We pray you just keep him healing up. And Lord Jim uh, Boyette's getting ready to have a surgery. And there's just a lot of things going on in the body. I think of Dottie Bartlett this week's having a surgery. A lot of people having a lot of medical things going on. Uh, just uh, just bereaved with the loss of a friend tonight. And Lord, we just pray, God, that you just bless this time. That it be practical and profitable to the kingdom of God. And, Lord, though we be few in number, Lord, uh, your hand is, is mighty. Lord, uh, you don't need strength in numbers. Lord, you need strength of heart. So, Lord, I pray you'd encourage our hearts tonight that uh, uh, you would look upon this time and that you'd be pleased and that you would uh, just bless us. Uh, bless your word, Lord. Uh, we thank you and praise you for loving us and giving us your son and giving us more grace. We praise, this, praise you and thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, uh, Ron... Um, talked about I had I gave you some old notes Ron so Ron talked about uh, having having an extreme makeover and how credible Christians are confident in their transformation uh, he talked about the reason we're confident and they and so we're still using that outline which I had prepared last week 
and then talked about the contrast between our tabernacle and our temple and uh, having a building of God which is permanent and the tabernacle is not. The tabernacle is designed for worship and uh, that's what our body's for as well. And then the practical application is our ability and our preparedness to stand before God. So that leads us to verse 9, which is we read over already. And that's going to deal with the credible Christians are pure in their motivation. And, of course, we saw there that Paul talks about the heart um, and those that are not in appearance but in the heart, and that's what's so important. So credible Christians are pure in their motivation. In verse 9, uh, Paul says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. He's the one we're trying to please. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I'm going to pause there and, and just kind of talk about verses 9 and 10 because the labor, uh, point A, credible Christians labor for the Lord. Um, the, the, the labor uh, we put into the work of ministry today is an investment in eternity. And I know you guys know that. So um, obviously we're not trying to earn salvation. We talked about that. Hi, beloved wife. Um, fresh in from Olathe. So... Um, so we're not trying to earn our salvation, uh, but to be accepted or p- pleasing to God who has bought us and set us apart for his use. So it's sort of like uh, we're engaged, right? So God has espoused us to one husband, and that's Christ, and we want to be ready at his appearing. We want to be ready for him. We want to be found faithful. And so, uh, and, but like anything, too, there's a return on investment. So God would like a return on his investment. He's invested a lot in us. And he doesn't want to see us come up short. And that's not just for his benefit. That's mainly for our benefit. He wants to see us maximize the potential that we have. <clears throat> I was just sitting there today um, thinking about my son. Uh, who's He's struggling in a couple classes. And it's really not because he couldn't do better. It's because he's not doing better. So he needs to do better. I want him to maximize his potential, right? It's not, you know, sometimes you, you, you do empathize or sympathize with folks who, who can't sometimes do better right and they're doing the best they can and it still maybe not be but you know what they're doing their best it's really frustrating when you can do better and you don't right and so we all need to meet reach that potential and we all have a lot of potential because christ is in us so if if we're wise we we will labor with our eyes fixed upon the judgment seat to come where we can honor god with a life committed to his service <clears throat> and you know you, you got to do that by faith and I can tell you that just from my own experience. God does so much by faith. You want to see fruit, but you don't always see it right away. But you still got to got to plow by faith. That's what farmers do. They sow, and they hope that the rains come, and they hope the plants come, and they hope the fruit comes. You know, uh, but you and then you got to harvest it. <clears throat> and so there's work to that. And so so it is with the the kingdom of God. And so if we're wise, we're going to labor with our eyes fixed on the judgment to come. And, uh, and to honor God with a life committed to his service. So God is worthy to be honored, even, even if he chose to condemn us to hell. And, uh, of course, he's not done that. But therefore, our lives should be committed to his service in everything that we do, because obviously we're not committed to hell. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, even if we were, God, uh, we, he deserves honor and glory. He's, he's the only one that's actually worthy of it. So we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is what it says in verse 10. I read that. We all, that means every Christian, not everybody. Sometimes people get that confused, and they think that, you know, everyone will appear before at a judgment, but not everybody appears at the judgment seat of Christ. That's only the church. That's unique to the bride of Christ. So <clears throat> we all, being every Christian, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, and by the way, there's no option. So you can't get out of appearing at the judgment seat of Christ either. 
to receive the things done in his body according to uh, that he uh, has done individually, right? So that's an individual judgment according to that he hath done. So uh, you can't look at your neighbor and you can't look at your wife and your kids. And I mean, ultimately, you will give account for you at the judgment seat of Christ. And, uh, and so we're not judged for what we want to do or don't want to do, but what is done in our body. <clears throat> so we're not even judging our intention. We're done for the things that we're judged on the things done in our in the body. Now, when we think about that, we think about this earthly body, this tabernacle, because he's talking about the tabernacle, and that's true. That is what he's talking about. Individually, you're responsible for this vessel, but you're also responsible for how you fit in the body of Christ. So, how do you handle yourself in the body? How you handle yourself in this body has an impact on this body, and and uh, and so, so the heart attitude is what's important uh, in our actions. There in verse ten. Uh, that's what's going to be judged is the heart um, and what comes forth from that. So there's some balancing verses. In Proverbs chapter 23, and uh, we'll have to turn to those because we don't have PowerPoint. We'll have to PowerPoint our fingers into the Bible, the good old-fashioned way. Proverbs chapter 23, and look down in verse 7. And uh, I've got it, but I'll go ahead and read it since I'm there. I'll give you guys a second to get there. Everybody there? Ron, you there? I'm just kidding. All right, so... Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. So we tend to perform uh, deeds, uh, perform the deeds of our heart, right? So as he thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? You, you can't actually, eventually what's in the heart's going to come out. That's really what Proverbs 23, 7 is, is really talking about. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 28, um, I'll get back there. That's the Beatitudes, of course. We know uh, Matthew 5. In verse 28, as Jesus is, uh, is, is preaching there in Matthew 5, he says, um, <clears throat> verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman and lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Right? And so... Uh, so that's that's uh, you're done in your heart, right? So Proverbs four twenty three, uh, so, uh, and this goes along also with what we're talking about in Second Corinthians five ten. Um, let me get back to I should have left a finger in Proverbs, so that wasn't very smart of me. You know, the first time I just flopped over to it. Now I'm not Psalms. Hang on, I want to get there. Anybody got that twenty four? 423? Okay. I'm almost there. Go ahead and read that, Jeff. I'm there. Yeah. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, we are not judged for thoughts in the heart, but the actions done in the body. Even though it says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so, this is, this is not a contradiction. It's good application because it's it's good to deal with sin at the heart level and not to get caught in the trap of, I've thought about adultery or murder, so I might as well do it. Um, and so don't do it. That's where you stop it. Now, you shouldn't dwell on it in the heart, but it's as if you've done it. Now, and the, and the reason I bring this up is I knew a pastor who used to preach that years ago, and uh, if you've thought of it, you've done it, and you're guilty. That is what Jesus says, obviously, in the heart, but the heart is a place you have an opportunity to correct it. You get the opportunity to judge the sin and correct it. Now, obviously, you shouldn't dwell on adultery in your heart. Uh, and so, because what you think about is what you'll end up doing. But you can judge it in your heart as well. 
and deal with it, and then um, then it's handled. And so, uh, and so, really, that's why the heart is so important. If you take the mindset that if I've already, if I've thought it, I am equal to have doing done it in the body. Well, guess what? That's a bad thing because uh, yes, there's. And I remember bringing this up. I was in a in a shepherd school class, and Alan Shelby was preaching on liberty in Christ and issues of sin and talking about liberty and. And I said, wait a minute. And I went up after class. I was respectful. And after class, I asked him a question. I said, wait a minute. Proverbs tells us that, you know, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And, uh, and, uh, but there's another verse I had um, that I brought up that God put on my heart. And I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Um, oh, uh, he, the, the thought of sin, uh, the thought of foolishness is sin is the verse that I was thinking of. The thought of foolishness is sin. And so, you know, it's not okay to entertain bad thoughts. That was my point to Alan. And Alan didn't argue with me. He says, oh, absolutely, you're right. It's not good to entertain bad thoughts. Um, hence, you know, you don't want to think about adultery or murder or thoughts of any, you know, thieving or whatever. All, we have all kinds of thoughts, jealousy, emulation, wrath, sedition, strife, heresy, you know, whatever. Those are not good thoughts to have because the thought of wickedness, uh, the thought of evil, that's sin. But he looked at me and he says, there's just no judgment on it. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. That's when I really realized that the, the heresy that I had heard preached uh, in that if you thought it, you've done it. Uh, no, if you've thought it, you shouldn't have thought it, but you haven't done it yet. So now's the time to judge it before you do do it. And uh, that's God's, talk about grace, that's God's mercy. That's his grace to give you a chance to repent. And so uh, thinking about it is where you stop it. And so d- deal with the sin at the heart level so it never gets to the body. That's the point. And there's a lot of, real application to that right even just now i talked about our literal body but also the body of christ if we deal with sin at the heart level it doesn't get to the the body so god hates sin either way but the judgment for impure thoughts is not the law um, or the words of christ in james 119 the bible says wherefore my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath right so we need to be careful what we what comes out is that's what defiles us, right? Um, not what goes in. It's what comes out. Matthew twelve thirty five. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Uh, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So just because your heart, because you hear it or think it, does not mean that you have to do it or speak it. So be careful, little children, what you see and what you hear, and most importantly, what you do with it. And, and, of course, our focus is not pleasing men but God because we've been delivered from the wrath to come. So back in our text in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to get there, 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yeah, the converse, conversely, that'd be the opposite of that. Because you can't, because the heart is desperately wicked. You can know it. Which causes us, getting us back to what we were talking about this morning. That's why humility is so important. Because if we don't humble our heart before the Lord, we'll never get the grace that we need. You know, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Yeah. Because our heart can deceive us. 
That's a good, that's really good. Because you can't even trust your own heart. That's why we have to trust the word of God. Yeah. Confidence toward God. Yeah, because you have confidence. I know in my life I do. I like having confidence. Clean conscience before God and in the sight of men, as Paul said. The conscience, we did, we, I touched on it this morning, too, in regard to grace and guilt. And, uh, you know, we typically think of guilt as a bad thing. It's only bad if, if we allow it to be, you know, and it's, and it's, and we, and it's the issues of the heart because our heart does lie to us, and we're not really guilty. We're justified. So it all boils back to faith, and what does the Bible say? The Bible tells us we have a new, we're an, a clean heart. Even when you get into Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, if you don't read through that carefully, you can find yourself condemned and wondering, am I walking in the spirit or am I walking in the flesh? Well, if you keep reading it thoroughly, we find out, no, you are, if you're saved, you are in the spirit. You may not act like it and you may not feel like it, but you are in the spirit. So ultimately, faith has to trump how we, our heart feels. But when our heart lines up with the word, then I guess we have confidence toward God. That's not very confident, I guess. So we do have confidence toward God. <laughs> but that's the paradox. We struggle with that in the heart. The heart. Man, it's a messy place, isn't it? <laughs> the heart of man. Only God has a pure heart. Praise God. Uh, so did I answer that question? I don't, I'm just kind of talking out loud now. Yeah. So I do think there's grace uh, when we have confidence um, there's grace when we don't have confidence as well. You know, it's God's grace. But Second uh, Corinthians 5.11, it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are manifest in your consciences. Speaking of conscience. So, um, so in the Greek word, terror means terror. If you look it up, <laughs> it's just terror, terror, terrifying. Um, and so... It's a terrible thing to think of those who will stand before God without an extreme spiritual makeover, which is the point of this little sermon in chapter 5. So that's the motive for our preaching and our ministry. So as we grow in Christ, we should grow to care less about how ministry makes us feel and more about how it reflects on the testimony of Christ regardless of how you feel about it. And I tell you, that's probably, that's, that, that is, that's, that's so true. I mean, I know I just said it, but it's, Man, the more you grow in the Christ, the more you're concerned about how the ministry is going to stand before Christ than you are about how it makes you feel. And we live in an age right now, feel-good ministry. It's so shallow. Ultimately, the issue is how, you know, how is this glorifying God? Is it glorifying God? Are we really here getting something done for God's glory, or are we just placating and pacifying ourselves to make our own consciences feel good at the, at the sake of God's glory? You know, and so, man, I don't want to be a part of that. And so, if I, I don't feel good, if I don't feel good for Jesus, uh, it, it doesn't. I'm sorry, it didn't feel good for Jesus to die on the cross, you know. But it did make an indelible imprint on the conscience of every human born on the planet. So the cross was not like a feel good activity. It was a really painful, you know, walk by faith. Uh, and God put Himself in the crosshairs of obedience and disobedience and obeying the Father's will versus his human will. And, of course, Jesus come out perfect on that. But, but nonetheless, it was painful. To be perfect can be painful. And that's the longer you're saved, the more you realize that. Being perfect is not pain-free. <laughs> you think that, well, if I'm perfect, there's no pain. Actually, it's quite the opposite in the, in the economy of God because being perfect, being complete, that is, in the Bible, not sinlessly perfect, but being complete in Christ 
inevitably is going to be painful because well, if Jesus Christ suffered to redeem, then why wouldn't we? You know, So being more and more like Christ, and it's not always easy for sure. All right, so let me wrap up this point in verses 12 through 13. He says, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on, your, on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For uh, the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Okay, so um, Paul is letting those uh, reading this epistle know that the reason he is reminding them of their pure ministry motives and actions is not to toot their own horn, but to give them fuel to combat the puffed-up false teachers who frequent the congregation at the Corinthian church. So that's why that's why uh, he makes a distinction distinct distinction of appearance versus the heart in verse twelve. In Galatians six twelve, uh, again dealing with the law of the flesh versus the law of the spirit, Paul said, "As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh." They constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So focus on, uh, focusing on serving Christ is what we need to do so that we will be liberated from the argumentative naysayers of the cross. All right, so let, let's, uh, let God's blessings speak for themselves when your credibility is challenged. And that's really what Paul's saying. In 2 Corinthians 3, which we've already covered, Paul said, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but fleshy tables of the heart. Oh, man, I'd laugh out loud. I can tell you guys after I'm off the air why. But spiritual fruit is not the completing D1 or D2 or HBI. Spiritual fruit is the manifestation um, of a changed heart and a changed life. My, my job is here at Heartland is to equip you with the tools, and your job and my job is also to, to sow water and reap. So uh, the question is tonight, and we'll probably stop here, do we have spiritual fruit? Yeah, if not, then, then we have no credibility. I was just telling the pastors, I, I came home fired up about the simple evangelism. And so I came home and I said, Amy, this is what we need to do. We need to start making relationships, very simple friendships that turn to faith, that turn to fellowship. That's simple. Something we learned all the way back in the day at KCBT, but we need to be intentional and accountable. So we're praying. Who are we praying for? Yeah, that lady. I'm not going to say on the air. And, and, uh, and, a, and a young lady named Brianna. So, and then the one that came to the house the other day. So we're, you know, all I'm doing is actively being intentional about people in my, in my sphere of influence. I'm not even going out of my way. I'm just being intentional about saying, okay, God, who can I build a friendship with so I can witness to him? That's it. And then trusting God for the fruit. So if we don't have spiritual fruit, though, we're not going to have any credibility. And how do our children speak of our Christian credibility? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. And how does your, our job performance speak of our Christian credibility? And uh, what do our neighbor? I don't know. Today I was late for a meeting, so that's not very good. So what do our neighbors say about our Christian credibility? Right? One of the my neighbors came here. She's been coming lately. Um, she's a sweet lady. I'm glad I wasn't, you know, out in the front yard doing something wrong. Or you know, I'm like, man, this is my neighbor. So far, so good. So praise God. So I hope my neighbors, all of my neighbors, all but one of, well, two of our neighbors have come to church anyway. 
So, uh, you know, what a hypocrite I would be if my neighbors come to church and see something different here than they see at home, is my point. And so Paul, uh, Paul had a ministry team that was not concerned about self-interest, but about ministry to others. And in verse 13, it says, Whether we be beside ourselves, it's, it's to God, or whether we be sober, it's for your cause. So this logic doesn't make sense to the carnal mind, right? It just doesn't. In Acts 26, uh, when we were in Acts chapter 26, Festa thought Paul was beside himself. You remember that? He's like, Paul, you're crazy, man. Uh, you know, he said uh, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And thus, uh, and he thus spake for himself. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. You are crazy, man. You're a crazy man. But he said, I'm not mad. I'm not crazy, most noble Festus. By the way, the word mad is still used in Great Britain and on Mad Magazine. Anyway, so I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Right? And so when we speak sober words, we seem crazy to the world. Jesus Christ is alive from the dead, and he's coming back soon. Israel, Jeff was preaching on Israel becoming a nation. And rightly pointing out this morning that many people who are highly educated think, you're crazy, man. It's not true. Uh, we've inherited all the promises of, of Israel, the replacement theology. And so, uh, well, no, that's not true. This actually plays right into the hands of the Antichrist. And yes, there's a coming Antichrist, by the way. So, oh, you're cra- oh much learning has made you mad. You're crazy, Brian. Nope, I just believe the Bible, just like Paul. So praying about, going, uh, about uh, doing ministry, being ready, for our friends and family to criticize. When we're going to do ministry, let me restate this. So when we're going to be doing ministry, we need to be ready for our friends and family to criticize our commitment to Christ. The more committed you are to Christ, the less people are going to like it, even in your own home, in your family, I mean, in your own house. So point C, credible Christians are constrained by the love of Christ. Oh, my goodness. You got, I skipped over B. I didn't. I'm going to take credit for that. Credible Christians lend the church credibility. I don't think, I think I did skip over that. Credible Christians lend the church credibility. That's true, isn't it? Credible Christians are constrained by the love of Christ. So Walt Cundiff was a credible Christian. When I came to Heartland, I had several credible Christians lend me credentials by virtually, just literally showing up. When Bob Bolkin and Walt Cundiff showed up, show up to your church when you're 32 years old and they sit in your church and listen to you preach, you instantly have credibility in the community because those are credible people. And so credible Christians, you know what? We're, we, we, should, we lend credibility to the church by our walk, right? That's what Paul's saying. We're going to behave ourselves the way God wants, and uh, it's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's for your benefit, to the church's benefit. And so, um, but we also are constrained by the love. So in 14 and 15, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then, all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they might, or they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So, it's only logical that if we are dead uh, and delivered from death by Christ, that our love for him will, will be manifest in heartfelt ministry to those who also need to realize and grow in the same grace. So amazingly, I ended at the same exact point as I did this morning, same exact principle. Right, so we we give grace because we got grace, and um, the love of Christ constrains us to love others because we've been loved so much. So 
that's the uh, that's point number two. So credible Christians are confident in their transformation, and then uh, verses nine through fifteen deal with the theme that credible Christians are pure in their motivation. Right? Motivation is huge. Uh, motivation. And then next week when we get together, we'll talk about uh, credible Christians are faithful in their representation. So all those those all rhyme together. So that's that's really good.